Welcome everyone to the Outpost Church Podcast. As a church, we've entered into a season of 21 days of prayer and fasting. And the reason that we're doing this is to give Jesus what he deserves, our lives. All he asks is everything. In Romans 12.1 it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. So that is why we're doing this season, because all he asks is everything. So through this season, as a church, we're going to be focusing both on the Psalms of Ascent, which is Psalms 120 through to 134, and the letter to the Colossians. So here's our message from this Sunday. So I encourage you all to, whether you've got a physical Bible, uh, whether you're using a phone, uh, if you can open up to Colossians. And I'm going to start with um, Colossians chapter 3, verse 11, which is very similar to a verse in Galatians. Galatians 3, perhaps. Um, Galatians 3, right at the end. So just feel free to stick with um, Colossians, but Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. For those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. It's a very similar list uh, to Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. In Christ there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. My biggest concern with what we were doing last week in having a look at um, our first peoples is that it creates an us and them. And what we read here is that there is no us and them. What we read in Ephesians chapter 2 and Ephesians chapter 3 um, is that dividing wall of hostility has been abolished. But the purpose in doing what we did last week is to go, historically there's been an us and them. And we're just going to call it out and we're going to name it and we're going to take this time to look at this because we think it is so important and it is so valuable. And so let's look at this. And what uh, Ernie was saying before is, I think, that this is about unity and having the same opportunities for all, um, is, is what he's getting across in his concern with the voice for parliament, is giving preferential treatment to one group over the rest, which does in itself create an us and them. So there's other things to think of apart from the obvious thing. I think all of us go, oh, great, let's... Um, have that Indigenous voice to Parliament as a gut feel. That sounds like a brilliant idea. Um, but I, I think I hear your heart behind that and going, it does create potential for an us and them. Um, and, yeah, what I think we all need to get our heads around more and more is that every single person we lay eyes on is made in the image of God. And that is true when we are in a church building and it is true when we're down at colonnades, 
It is true when we're down the beach, in our homes, in our schools, in our workplaces. It is always true. Every single person that we see is made in the image of God. And that is huge. It is a game-changing reality. And it is one for us to seek more understanding on uh, so that we would live out of that reality. Christy said uh, just before uh, that one of our... um, she said core values and she corrected herself and said core behaviors or values or behaviors is that we pray first. We've chosen that phrase core behaviors or core practices because values are something that often just get put on a sign. They just get put on a mission statement. Behavior is what you do. And so we have three core behaviors as a church. It's not the only three things that we do. But it's three things that we think are so important, so valuable, and we don't want to forget about them. Does anyone know what any of them are? Yep. We pray first. Josh, gold star, well done. We pray first. What else do we do? We learn from Scripture. And we practice hospitality. So we had engaged with Scripture. was what we had four and a half years ago. Um, and then it was Lockie was like, what about learn from Scripture? I was like, that is so much better. It is one thing to engage with Scripture. It's another thing to learn from it. We learn from Scripture and we practice hospitality. We had boldly loved the people of, people of McLaren Vale uh, for a while. What better way to boldly love someone than to practice hospitality is what we arrived at. And so we practice hospitality with people that... Uh, we share faith with, as well as those um, who are not yet believers. Uh, I got to meet a fellow Christian today. Um, His son beat my son in tennis, um, and we're sitting next to each other and talking about stuff, and um, it was just a good opportunity to, yeah, chat together. Um, And the question, like he mentioned about school, his um, son was going to uh, Southern Vales Christian School, and so I was like, oh, perfect. It was before he even asked me what I did um, that I was able just to say, are you involved in a church? Um, And I know the pastor um, of his church and a number of people in it, and so it was good to be able to connect over that. It is an encouraging thing to have those conversations with people of faith, brothers and sisters from wherever we happen to meet them. Um, But also we want to be doing that with people that don't yet know him. It's one thing to talk to someone about Jesus It's something else to invite them over for a meal, to demonstrate practical love and care for them. And I think we want to do both. Both really important things. All right. Who here is perfect? Who's perfect? I did see that hand and then it went down again. It wasn't your wife that took it down either. You took it down voluntarily. Who here would like to be perfect? All right, I'll ask a different question. Who here is mature? Who here would like to be mature? Who finds it easier to say, yes, I want to be mature than yes, I want to be perfect? Most of you, by evidence of the fact that you put your hand up for the second. So there is a word translated sometimes as perfect and other times as mature. And we see it right throughout our New Testament. And... It is easier to say, yes, I want to be mature than yes, I am or want to be perfect. Um, Seems like they're similar things. Interesting. 
Let's have a read of um, Colossians chapter 1 right at the very end. So verse 28. Colossians chapter 1 verse 28, second to last verse of chapter 1. We proclaim him. Who's the him that we proclaim? Yes. We just have Christ in the previous verse. We proclaim Christ, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. So what was Paul's goal? He had a goal of preaching the gospel. Why was he preaching the gospel? Yes, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That was Paul's goal, present everyone mature in Christ. And that's my goal, is that I can present myself mature in Christ and that I can have a part in other people attaining maturity in Christ. How did he go about it? Yeah, verse 28. I heard it very quietly. Yeah, teaching with wisdom. Yep. So the start of verse 28, we proclaim him, being Christ, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And what did he do about it? I labor for this, struggling with all his energy that works powerfully in me. I'll just change translations there. Striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. What does it mean to strive in or with his strength that works powerfully in me? Well, let's, let's keep reading. For I want you to know how greatly I am struggling for you, for those in Laodicea and for all who have not seen me in person. We're going to jump across to Colossians chapter 4. Um, verse 12, and read about Epaphras. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. He is always wrestling for you in his prayers so that you can stand mature and fully assured in everything God wills. It doesn't specify that he's struggling for them in prayer. But it seems to me there's two things that he's doing about their maturity. One is that he's writing this letter. So he is warning and teaching them with all wisdom. So he's giving them the wisdom that God has given him. What's the second thing that he's doing, do you think? I think it's the same thing that Epaphras is doing over in chapter 4. Praying. So let's just quickly look. So Colossians chapter 1, verse 3. It says, We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Interesting. Always. Verse 9. For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. And there's a beautiful prayer. If you're ever not sure what to pray over yourself or over someone else, it's a good idea to go to Paul's prayers. And this one is a cracker. 
So many good things to pray. So would you just put your hands out and let's receive this. We are asking that we may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that we may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that we may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. The prayer kind of finishes there. The next part is so good as well, so I'm just going to keep reading. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Hallelujah. Then it goes into a beautiful declaration of who Jesus is. Uh, from that point on, which we looked at briefly last week. We'll skip back over to chapter 2. So you can see there you've got this focus on, on prayer at the start. He's praying for them, continues to pray. And just want to point out as well that that second time it mentions that he's praying for them, he's just talked about how well they are going. So it's their love for one another and their faith in Christ that's being reported to him. And because he keeps hearing how well they're going, he doesn't stop praying for them. So we don't just pray for people when they're struggling. People that are going really well need prayer also. Prayer is not a sign that things are failing. It's just a sign that there is someone more powerful than us available to help us. We need his help. He is the perfect one who actually makes us complete, mature, and according to the Bible, perfect. He's the one that does it. He's good enough to make us good, good enough to qualify us. Other translations in that verse, chapter 1, um, verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you. When does enabled get used in a positive light? Apparently here. Most of the time we think about enabling someone. It's not a positive, not positive connotations. But he is our enabler. He enables us. I did this uh, leadership course and it had everyone got their book, you know, their name on it. And it says about enabling Shane Rayner to lead and all this other stuff. And it's like just, it made me laugh at the time. But that was just me. So we have this example of Paul who's praying. And then it's not until we get to chapter 4, verse 2, where he instructs us to pray. Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open a door to us for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains, so that I may make it known as I should. How good that he's scripting their prayers for them. If unsure what to pray, just pray the things that I've just told you to pray. Very helpful. And then I've already read out um, verse 12 with Epaphras. Although I think, um, this is my theory, verse 17. And tell Archippus, pay attention to the ministry you have received in the Lord so that you can accomplish it. I reckon his ministry was praying for people. 
I'm just putting it out there. All right, going back to chapter 2, verse 4. So he's praying for them. He's actively praying for them, but he also has things to instruct them about. And he's about to tell the reason why he's doing that. The ultimate reason is so they can be mature. Everyone mature in Christ. But here he says, I'm saying this so that no one will deceive you with arguments that sound reasonable. Jump down to verse 8. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. What's the commonality between those two verses? What's his concern? Deceit. That no one deceives them. And then, who's got a title above verse 4? What do you have, Steve? Does anyone else have a different title than that? That's the one that I've got in here, Christ versus the Colossian heresy. What does it say in front of verse 6? Nice. Spiritual fullness in Christ. Nice one. All right, so we are about to embark on 21 days of prayer and fasting. And Christy was talking about that a bit earlier and had a chance to have a think and and chat with someone about what your um, participation in that might be. I want to have a look at a chunk of scripture that could discourage us from fasting. And so we're just going to dive into that right now and then we'll have a look at what comes around it. And that title of Christ versus the Colossian heresy is an important one just to keep in the back of your mind. So we're going to jump forward a little bit. So I've just said about you know, these two verses, chapter 2, verse 4. Uh, we're going to stick to chapter 2 for at least a little while. Um, but those two verses that talk about deception and staying clear of deception. So let's go with verse 16. Therefore, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food and drink. It's not a full stop, but we'll pause there for just a moment. Don't let anyone judge you in regard to food and drink. Okay. Anyone ever felt judged regarding food and drink? It's a massive issue for some people, and it is something that impacts on all of us in different ways. We'll keep on reading. This next stuff, maybe not as much, but possibly. Or in the matter of a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath day. Anyone here like to practice the Sabbath? Yeah, I do. Anyone here into uh, new moons? Anyone like festivals? That can be fun. Verse 17, these are a shadow of what was to come. The substance is Christ. That is a huge verse. These are a shadow of what was to come. The substance is Christ. So the context into which he's speaking is a very different one from ours right here, right now. And there's a couple of forces that are at work for the Colossian church. So one is that you've got the, the Jews who are saying, yeah, like Jesus is great and all, but we need to keep the law, the Mosaic law. And they've also got 
a group who are just so focused on what they can perceive in the spiritual realm and so focused on what they're saying no to. In other words, people that are exceptionally good at fasting or the ascetic practices. And they're claiming access to a visionary realm. And so there's the concern that people will go and do likewise, but also the concern that they will be lured in and enticed by people who are claiming access to a visionary realm that is not Christ. They're like, if you do this and that and the other, then you, like me, will have access to these incredible experiences. So that was the context into which this is happening. So let's keep on reading. Verse 18. Let no one condemn you by delighting in ascetic practices. What's an ascetic practice? Denying yourself. So it could be fasting. It could be abstaining from anything, really. So that's ascetic practices. Let no one condemn you by delighting in ascetic practices and the worship of angels. But aren't angels good? Angels are good, right? We don't worship them. So there is a, a time in Revelation where John is just overwhelmed and he falls at the feet of the angel that's showing him all these things. And he's just like, I'm a created being just like you. Don't do that. Worship God. We save our worship for God. Angels are amazing, but we don't worship them. This is the next part. Um, claiming access to a visionary realm. Such people are inflated by empty notions of their unspiritual mind. That's a pretty solid rebuke right there. Empty notions of their unspiritual mind. Verse 19 makes it very gender exclusive. He doesn't hold on to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons, grows with growth from God. What do you think that means? He doesn't hold on to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons, grows with growth from God. 30 seconds. Chat with the person next to you. Who's the head? Jesus. The head is Jesus. And one of the, the dangers that's happening here is that you've got someone who, like the Galatians, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Do you think that you can, can? Do you think you can complete by the law what you started by the Spirit? The same gospel that saves us is the gospel that we live by. It's not that we move on from the gospel of Jesus is King and go on to something else. We don't shelve it as a secondary thing, hoping for a grander revelation. There will be things that amaze us and astound us, but it will be as we see Jesus more clearly. He is the amazing one. He is the one we're looking to for all of our revelation, all of our knowledge. We must hang on to the head. And we must only receive that kind of teaching from those who are hanging on to the head as well. And this is... I'd encourage everyone, like if you have a particular podcast or whatever that you get a lot out of, like go for it. But let's be careful 
that our primary relationship or our primary interaction with God doesn't come through a third party. We're not having someone as the main access we have to God. Because one, it puts too much responsibility on that person. But secondly, you are not taking the responsibility you ought to take for yourself, for your own salvation, for your own teaching. It is Jesus that can handle that and him alone. And getting to know the scriptures means that when something does come up that doesn't align with it, we're much quicker at being able to be alerted to that. Um, Verse 20, if you died with Christ to the elements of this world, why do you live as if you still belonged to the world? Why do you submit to regulations? Now, just look up at me for a sec. If you haven't read ahead and you don't know what's coming, what would you expect this to say? Don't submit to regulations, colon. What comes next? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch is not what I would have expected it to say. I would have expected things to do with the law more so than this. Like don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. All these regulations refer to what is destined to perish by being used up. They are human commands and doctrines. Although these have a reputation for wisdom by promoting self-made religion, false humility and severe treatment of the body, they are not of any value in curbing self-indulgence. One of the dangers for me as a pastor, one of the dangers for all of us in different ways is that we can boast in what we have done. And my current reality is that I've read Colossians every day for just over four weeks. And that's not something I've done before. I've memorized different chunks, but it's different to just reading the whole lot every day. And it's been a really helpful exercise. But one thing that we need to be careful of is that we don't go chasing after someone because they've memorized the whole Bible and go, oh, that's the person that knows everything and so I'm just going to do whatever they say I should do. And so we want to share testimonies. That's why we do that most weeks, share testimonies, to be encouraged by each other and see what is possible. I spent some time with a guy six or seven years ago who was involved, he actually was the one that prayed for Lockie when his knee was miraculously healed. Um, and his phrase that he used a whole bunch when I spent time with him was, I didn't know we could do that. I didn't know we could do that. Like he found out about these different things that people were doing. He's like, I didn't know we could do that. And he got so excited about what we have access to as Christians. And so it's important that we share about our experiences of the Bible, our experience in prayer with him. But there's this balancing act where it's not so that we can be seen as some guru, some amazing super spiritual person that everyone wants to follow. It's so they can be encouraged that they can do the same thing themselves. That's enough. Verse 1 of chapter 3. So the context for this, the context of what we've just read is it sits between these two absolutely amazing passages. I'm just going to read the start of chapter 3. So if you have been raised with Christ, 
Seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. And you once walked in these things when you were living in them. But now, put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. In Christ there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. There is stuff that we are to do. There is stuff that we are to get rid of. You can read that as a contradiction. It's just telling us all these things we are to not do. Put them off or put them to death. Sexual immorality and the like, anger, all these things. We put them off or put them to death. But then he's getting stuck into the do not taste, do not touch, do not handle. It seems like a contradiction. Our relationship with God is completely dependent on what he has done for us. It's all about what he has done. Our ability to abstain from food, our ability to memorize scripture, our ability to whatever, is not the means by which we are saved. It's because of what he has done. But we are called to live to a standard Living to that standard frees us up to actually love other people. To go deeper in our knowledge of him. So when it comes to us and our our fasting, the reason I am going to be fasting over the next few weeks is because I'm aware that I can be so full of the world. I can have all this other stuff that dominates so that there's no hunger for Christ. I'm fasting from things of the world so I'm more hungry for him, more receptive to what he has to say to me so I can hear his voice. It's not a hunger strike. I'm not fasting until he speaks to me. I'm fasting so that I can actually hear what he's already saying to me. It's a very different thing. And then we go back to chapter 2 and if you're thinking about this group, so the Gnostic, I don't know if you're familiar with that word Gnostic, but the, the Gnostics were all about the higher knowledge. We're going to get to know all this higher knowledge. He keeps on talking about Christ. He uses the, that language, the glorious wealth of this mystery. What's the mystery? Christ in you. Um, Chapter 2, verse 2. I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love so they may have all the riches of complete understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, which is what? Christ. It's all in him. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so then you get to that next chunk, 
which we'll save for another time. But I encourage you to dive deep into this and just to see the reality of the fullness of God in Jesus and Jesus filling us. And then language in there of circumcision, the cutting off, the removal of everything else. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far he's removed our transgressions from us. I used to think it was sin in me and got out there. I was trying to get more of God in and more of sin out. But this tells me that he's cut away that sin. He has removed it as far as the east is from the west and I am filled with the fullness of God in Christ. It's a very different reality. It's not striving to try and hear him because he's right here. It's just removing those distractions. That is why I'm going to be fasting over the next few weeks. I want to invite the band to come up and they're going to lead us in a couple more songs. But what I want to encourage you to do, um, just as you stand to your feet, is to consider what it looks like to take a step towards maturity. And what it looks like to take a step towards maturity for most of us is taking Paul's example, and that is praying for others and seeking to help others come to a deeper understanding of who they are in Christ. Those two things. Yes, pray for yourself. Yes, seek a great understanding for yourself. But also, maturity looks like we're actually focused on other people and praying for them as well. Father, we are so grateful that we have access to you because of what Jesus has done. We didn't contribute anything towards our salvation. It is a free gift from you. We thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf. We thank you that we are now known as your children. We have access to you day and night. You are our very present help in time of need. You are higher than any other name. You are greater than any other power. And you are our closest friend. We ask that we would see this more clearly, that we would see you more clearly. Would you have your way in us? In Jesus' name, amen. There's a a phrase that I really like uh, that's self-forgetfulness. And I think it was C.S. Lewis that said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. And one of the litmus tests of what I was talking about earlier is just, who are you pointing to? Who are you getting others to look at? Are you like, look at me, I just fasted for this long. Or are you like, look at Jesus, I just fasted and now I know how much more beautiful he is than what I realized before. The two very different things. And our goal is that self-forgetfulness where we're just more conscious of him And like that psalm says, we're just waiting and watching. Like the servant with his eyes on on his master's hand. Like, what is he going to do? Where's our focus? Where is our gaze? Who's starting a new job tomorrow? Oh, Eloise. Yeah, I know there's a few. 
I would love it if we would pray for those um, who are starting school tomorrow, a new year, starting a new job, starting a new job as a teacher, um, going back to school, got the students. So let's turn to the person next to you and ask how you can pray for each other. I would encourage you to pray for those temporal things like what's going on, but also pray for the bigger picture that you would all, we would all grow in our intimacy with God, that we would know him more, reflect him more accurately and those things. Let's pray for both of those, you know. So turn to the person next to you, how can I pray for you? And once you've done that, um, you can head on out and we'll have dinner together. God bless that food to our bodies. Amen. Amen.